Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for a baseless opinion. Today is the 14th of July, 2014, and this is episode 86. I'm Jake English, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, a man on vacation, Scott Magnus. Well, I'm not on vacation anymore. You're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to our voices right now, it's very likely that you found us at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also likely that you found us in the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also find us in a myriad of other places around the web. There's Miro, Stitcher, which we encourage, Double Twist. There's also this little place called iTunes, at least for now and if you find us on itunes please go there rate us give us a uh, uh, whatever rating is appropriate leave a, a little review we'd really appreciate it on the social media you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash bevcast you can circle us on google plus you can watch our channel on youtube which is really just a solitary single image with our podcast behind it uh, but the best way to find us is to do so on twitter where we tweet at bird's eye view B A L, uh, Scott. If you will, if you will humor me, a couple of quick announcements. Do we have time for it? Yes, Jake. We have time for it. <laughs> we always encourage you to check out the post-game live show on Channel BSR, which is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, somewhere between five to fifteen minutes after each game. Uh, Scott and I make a number of appearances, but it's also a great place to watch a breakdown of the game that does not include Jim Hunter or uh, Rick Dempsey. And it's, uh, it's hosts from the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Also, big announcements. These are important. Thursday of this week, you're going to have the second Bevy Awards. The 2014 Bevies will be released on Thursday evening. This is, of course, Bird's Eye View's mid-season awards show where we break down the first half, what we've seen so far, and take a look at what we'll see moving forward in the second half. Some great contributions from the rest of the Birdosphere. Uh, it's it's a really great show. We're looking forward to you hearing that, and we encourage everybody to make sure you make time for it when it comes out on Thursday. Also, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, go ahead. Just continue to cut me off. <laughs> also, we want to make sure that you are aware of the Birdland Bash. And Scott, this is your brainchild. I'd like you to kind of uh, kind, of, kind of take us there. Sure. So I'm going to cut you off after talking now for a solid four minutes there. And um, we're going to talk about the <laughs> Birdland Bash. Birdland Bash is a, an event that's being hosted by the Baltimore Sports Report and also OBP Apparel to uh, an individual group that we are big fans of. Um, we are doing a softball event in Baltimore City. Um, it is going to have T-shirts designed by OBP Apparel, and we'll go out there with our terrible, terrible skills and uh, enthrall you with how terrible we really are. 
Um, and then after the game, we're going to go to the Orioles game and actually see some real baseball players, hopefully, um, you know, perform adequately uh, well and get us a win against the Seattle Mariners. So that's August 2nd. Go to our website, click on the right menu that says Birdland Bash. Only $20 to go to the softball game and to get a t-shirt. And uh, you can get your Orioles tickets through Orioles.com. There's a discounted link on our website. So go there. Please purchase some tickets. All right. Fantastic. We're definitely looking forward to it. The, the thing I must stress there is that you cannot possibly be worse at softball than me. So please, adults of any skill level, please come laugh at me. Bring a glove. We'd love to have you. You don't even need to bring a glove because Jake will bring a glove for you. That's right. If you're a lefty, you're going to be fine. All right, Scott, with all of that out of the way, and I apologize for running long, let's get to the important stuff. What is your drink of the week? My the drink of the week this week is a Jack and Coke on ice. Oh, wow. You're throwing it back. It was a rough week. <laughs> <laughs> all right i myself am drinking a national bohemian beer um as you noted i'm on vacation uh knocked out some crabs earlier this week and i'm just uh polishing off the rest of the natty bow before it's time to rejoin the working world well you just keep rubbing it in that you're gonna you had crabs earlier this week um let's go on to something that's a little bit more uh up our alley and let's go to the medical wing um big news on the medical wing was about jimenez Injured this week, really hurt, um, rolled his ankle in his parking lot. He's going to need some rehab starts, and, uh, well, I guess it's not looking so good for him. You know, when it first happened, I thought, oh, sure, he's hurt. Okay, whatever. But uh, I did research the injury that he had in 2012 when he did roll his ankle the first time, and it's true what they say. Once you roll it, uh, it, it can happen again, um, and, it, and it gets worse. So, you know... It's kind of a good thing, the fact that it gets an ineffective pitcher off the mound, and maybe the rehab and the rehab starts will, will bring him back stronger than he was. But uh, thank thank goodness we've got an excess of starting pitching, huh? I mean, it's not a situation of getting stronger. It's just an aspect of getting control of your mechanics. If Abaldo Jimenez is able to control his walk rate and uh, get it down to what his career numbers are, um, you know, we're looking at an improved performance by Jimenez, you know, not a great pitcher, but an above average pitcher that really could shift this rotation moving into the second half. But we'll get to that later on this episode and during the bevies. All right. Fair enough. Uh, in that case, Scott, why don't we uh, why don't we do the twat? All right. This week on the Twitter uh, Monday night, uh, the home run derby is going on and baseball tonight has asked the question of who's going to win the Gillette home run derby Um Check out our picks. And uh, by the time everyone has heard this, the Home Run Derby would have, will be over. But, Jake, the Home Run Derby has not happened. We're in a rain delay. Who is your pick for who's going to win the Home Run Derby? My pick is MLB Partner Advertisers. Mm. That's a good pick. I don't think ESPN thought about that, but that's definitely probably the number one contender. That's the only winner that's going to happen tonight. Uh, speaking about the All-Star Game, the lineups were announced, and Derek Jeter is leading off, and uh, MLB PR basically posts a lineup. An individual by the name of Schwabe Baffe, and I'm not even going to give you his follow because you're just going to troll him. He says, what the F? Farrell is giving center field to Adam Jones. And uh, I guess now, this it, is an Angels fan. This yeah. is an Angels fan. No, I mean, Apparently, he's never heard of a veteran preference. Uh, I would also point to the situation of uh, Mike Trout really should be starting in center field because he's the better center fielder. In a game that mattered, sure, but this is the all-star game. Okay, that's that's fair. I guess that's the reason why uh, Derek Jeter is batting uh, number one. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you want more thoughts uh, from the All-Star Game, we encourage you to go and check out Bird's Eye View Extra Innings, which will appear on Baltimore Sports Report this week. Um, It's a little bit of bonus content from us. Be sure to check that out. We're going to talk about the All-Star Game this week. All right, what else you got for me? Next on the Twitter is from Eno Saris. Uh, you can follow him at Eno Saris. He's a uh, newer, noted sabermetrician that posts random, uh, regularly on Fangraphs. He says, wait, Alfredo Simone over Steven Strasburg as an all-star replacement? Did I take priority by accident? Left is right, up is down. The world is backwards, my friend. Well, here, the biggest problem with this is um, you've got a situation where Strasburg versus Simone, you would say, oh, Simone's got you know nine wins. But you look at the rest of Strasburg's stats, and they dwarf Alfredo Simone in terms of performance. So Steven Strasburg is the clear all-star candidate from a sabermetrician's viewpoint. But from the Jim Hunter school of baseball, it's, oh, he's got nine wins. He deserves to go to the all-star game. All right. Even I think that the win stat is stupid. Yes, um, I'm converting moving you. Moving on, this, this week we had the Brian Roberts watch. The Brian Roberts watch! The return of Brian Roberts to Camden Yards. I believe this was the first time he was back all season. Um, but uh, lots of people weighed in. I know Orioles Uncensored was really beating the Twitter hard about this this subject. Um, so I encourage you to go back and, and read some of their tweets. But Adam Jones got involved. He, of course, tweets at simply AJ10. He says, I believe that Birdland will give Brian Roberts the credit he's due. Man, have his all to the or- Man gave his all to the Orioles. I know you're the op- uh, opposition now, but respect i tried to clean that up to make it into readable english but the man has a point adam jones knows what's up brian roberts absolutely deserves an ovation when he comes back to camden yards look i don't like the fact that he's a new york yankee any more than anybody else does but it wasn't his fault that the only team that would tender him a contract was the new york yankees and when all is said and done this year will be nothing more than an unpleasant anecdote to a hall of fame an orioles hall of fame career an historic orioles career and we need to recognize that brian roberts was the highlight of a terrible era of orioles baseball all right enough of me on the soapbox scott what else do you have all right uh last tweet for the week uh that i want to cover was from sal uh, from obp apparel and you can follow him at sal team six his post was you can't claim to own an opposing team's ballpark if you can't keep let's go red sox slash yankees chance out of your own stadium you know, after we went through the whole Camden South situation last week with being in Washington, Sal makes a really good point giving consideration of what happened this 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 past weekend. So kudos for Sal for putting all of us in our place and not getting too cocky with how our tra- our fan base was able to travel down south. Absolutely agree. I think it's ridiculous that Orioles fans don't remember the feeling of sitting in your own park and having the people there act like complete jerks. And I hope that none of them were doing it in Washington, but I'm sure they were. If if they don't know that feeling, then they could have easily gone this weekend and experienced it. Uh, Hopefully this was just the the Derek Jeter retirement party, because otherwise I can't handle it. Well, I did come across an individual that had traveled up from Texas in order to see Derek Jeter play in Baltimore. And uh, their sign said uh, Yankees, but it had Yankee with an apostrophe and an S. Yikes. Yeah. Well, hey, look, Scott, things may have looked a little grim at Canyon Yards this weekend, but I have to tell you, I have a feeling things are getting better. It's getting better.
Jake, the old adage that a team is never as bad as it appears when things are going poorly and never as good as when things are going right. And right now, things are going pretty well for the Orioles. Um, we've been talking this whole season about the Orioles kind of treading water and being good and then bad and good and bad again. But for the time being, the Orioles are putting together a string of great games. Over the past 40 games, the Orioles are 25-15. and 15. Things are looking good going into the All-Star break with the Orioles up four games over the Toronto Blue Jays and five games over the New York Yankees. Um, and, and, you know, you, you look at some of the things and you look and say, you know, how did the Orioles get there? And Rakabako had a really great summary piece this morning on his blog that summarized the struggles that the Orioles had had to overcome so far this season. So I just want to go through some of those topics right now and cover and get some perspective about Things have not been so rosy as they have been this week. So the first thing that I just right out of the batter's box is Manny Machado was up for the first month of this season and another five games for the suspension. Not to mention in May, he really had some poor numbers while he tried to acclimate himself back into hitting major league pitching. I think that's a big loss for the Orioles giving consideration to, you know, he was one of the star players of this team last year both in terms of offensive, but more so defensive performance. And even his defensive performance was has been lacking so far this season. You've got to expect that to increase and get better as the season goes along. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind is that the contrast is even starker when you imagine, or when you take into account, rather, the fact that he was replaced by guys like Ryan Flaherty and even Jonathan Scope, who, as we've seen as they were moved back to their regular position in second base, have just been a complete wasteland when it comes to their offensive production. So the stark contrast between not having Manny Machado and, in fact, having these, these two second basemen who, who don't bring anything with the stick to, you know, a rusty Manny Machado, things can only get better in the second half. Speaking of other things that um, are players that we've lost, Matt Wieters went down early on in the season with Tommy John surgery. You know, he started off the first month, and he was one of the best hitters on the team right there with Nelson Cruz. And then, you know, you see him having the lack of arm strength and you're like, what's going on here? And then they put him on rest and then you hear the, up. Oh, he might have to have Tommy John surgery and there's that constant ebb and flow of no, yes, no, yes. And then finally he has Tommy John surgery and he's done for the season. But again, to be cut down like that when you're having your first offensive season um, and, you know, the promise of being the switch hitting Jesus in cleats, uh, you know, it's a devastating situation for the Orioles of, oh, we thought we were finally going to have it, and now you're taking it away from us. So not just losing his defensive prowess, but his offensive uh, you know, force in the lineup is a big deal. I mean, I can't imagine what this lineup would have been looked like if Matt Wieters was betting number five or number six right now in this lineup. Absolutely. Uh, you know, especially because the one thing that the Orioles have been able to do is tap dance around uh, different guys slumping, and it, it seems like you know somebody gets hot at a different time, whether it be Cruz or Jones or what have you, and and having that extra guy to go to just have been, you know, really important. And when you talk about, you know, who's hot and who's cold, I mean, we can't get around this conversation of having to talk about Chris Davis. Chris Davis is literally half the player that he was last year. He's batting under the Mendoza line. He's only hit 15 home runs, whereas last time or last year, about this time, he had hit 37. You know, on one hand, it's really frustrating to watch Chris Davis play right now because he's hitting the ball right into that shift. And whereas on one hand, you say to yourself, well, that Babbitt's got to come up. On the other hand, he's not really changing anything to, to uh, avoid the shift that seems to have been his bugaboo uh, all this season. And, and the other thing is that, you know, as bad as Chris Davis has been, the one bright spot that I can see 
is that he can still affect the game like he did, you know, the other night winning the ball game for the Baltimore Orioles against the Yankees. You know, it, even in the most dire of slumps, he still has the ability to change a game, and pitchers still need to uh, pitch to him like he is that power hitter uh, that should be feared. Speaking about other woes, we've had a numerous amount of pitching woes going on. Habaldo Menez offered the massive free agency contract to come in and pitch for the Baltimore Orioles. Lost eight of his first 11 starts. Um, he's had a major issue with being consistent in terms of his mechanics and uh, throwing the ball really across the plate. His walk rate has been at an absolute high for his career, um, and now he's injured, and it doesn't look like he's going to be available until the end of July. Um, so in effect, you've almost lost an entire month out of Pabaldo Jimenez. Uh, Miguel Gonzalez also has been on the DL earlier this year with an oblique strain. Bud Norris went on the DL recently with a groin strain. Johan Santana, who was projected as possibly being a fifth starter in this rotation, um, basically had an Achilles tendon rapture, which means that he's done for the season. He might be done for his career. Uh, and in terms of the bullpen, Tommy Hunter, the self-proclaimed closer at, coming out of spring training, was promptly kicked out of his role um, after several blown saves. And the bullpen has kind of been a mishmash of players from Evan Meek to Preston Gimmett to Brad Brock to Josh Stinson to TJ McFarland. These are not the players that you would expect to see in a Major League Baseball um, bullpen that is, you know, doing as well as they are doing right now. Yeah, but the thing is, is that with all those things that have happened, the Orioles are still winning games. And we mentioned the other 10 games over 500. They've got that four-game lead in the AL East, uh, at least going into the All-Star break. And despite the fact that they have a rough road trip ahead uh, on the West Coast right after play resumes, the Orioles are built to win this down, weakened, watered-down AL East division. And some of the things that we need to consider are, are the following. First, I, I think the pitching staff really has solidified itself from a starting pitching standpoint. I mean, would you agree? Um, I would say that the starting pitching staff over the past few weeks has done a decent enough job where they're not a liability like they have been in um, previous portions of the season. Right. Uh, and, and I guess I, I should I should say that, you know, coming into this season – you and I agree that if the pitching staff was just okay, the offense would probably carry them through that. Um, you know, the, the glut that we had at one point of that six-man rotation has really come in handy due to the health concerns that we've talked about as far as the starters are concerned. Um, the other thing is that you know, the, some of the stats are starting to come in line. Um, I know that ERA is about the dumbest of, of uh, pitching stats beyond maybe the, the win-loss uh, record. But their ERA, the staff's ERA, is lower than previous seasons at this point in the se- uh, season. Uh, a 409 versus a 457 in 2013 and a 442 in 2012. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons why that there's such an ER, if you look at FIP and XFIP, those actually are very similar to previous seasons. And the reason there's such a difference in terms of ERA this season is because the Orioles have stranded. Um, players on base, their left on base percentage is high at 76.4%, whereas in previous seasons it's been around like 70-72%, which is league average. That's interesting that the Orioles are performing in that fashion, um, whether it's luck or you know a dynamic of how they're pitching. It will be interesting to see how that pertains. That was one of the big knocks last year with Chris Tillman was his left on base percentage was near 80%, and everyone basically proclaimed that he would be coming down. Now he has come down this season, but other people have stepped up and um, kept that left-on-base percentage high. 
really is a question of whether the defense is having a role of keeping that left on base percentage higher um, than the league average. The other thing we need to keep an eye on with this staff is, is walks. And, of course, Baldo Jimenez is, um, is the main culprit. He needs to get that walk, walk right down in order to be an effective pitcher. The other one is Tillman. Um, but I think also Tillman's bugaboo is getting himself comfortable in that first inning. You know, he's admitted that he has a hard time coming from the bullpen to the mound and getting himself right. He gets himself and the team behind in a hurry. You know, if he can get that under control, I think that um, that combined with low, lower walk rates can make this staff dangerous. Yeah, and, you know, moving away from pitching, you know, let's go back to offense. We were talking about the struggles of Davis, and we all know that Nelson Cruz and Steve Harris has been great. And, um, you know, you look at the numbers, and you look at Woba, and you look at your weighted runs created plus, and it's exactly the same as it was in 2013, and it's better than it was in 2012. That's great news considering the fact of, like we talked about, Manny Machado, Matt Weeders being out um, for prolonged periods of time, and Chris Davis being a slumping player. Yes, you have to imagine that Nelson Cruz is going to come back to earth, but you have to look at it and say, oh, there's a possibility that other people are going to be able to fill that gap when Nelson Cruz comes back to earth. Sure, absolutely. And, and again, the Orioles have depended on the home run as much as any other team, if not more so in baseball. Um, it really comes down to can they continue to manufacture just enough runs to continue to hit the long ball for win game. It's actually interesting about that, though, is if you look at their power percentage, which, again, you would think home runs would come back and be a big portion of that, their power numbers are actually down this year compared to previous years. Their ISO is .155 versus .171 and .170 for 2013 and 2012. And what do you think that has an impact as far as their ability to create runs? I think it's actually more interesting to say if their weighted runs created plus is um, equal um, to where it was in previous season, but their ISO is down. That means they're getting a lot more, you know, clutch hits with singles and doubles, as opposed to just always relying on the home run ball. All right, that's fine. Tell me about Babbitt. I know that's a stat that you really track uh, heavily and something you believe in. Sure. So what sort does of that tell for this season? Sure. So the Orioles right now are uh, at three oh three, um, which is actually a pretty normal Babbitt um, for them. The only thing that concerns me about it is if you look at their line drive percentage, it's a little bit lower this year. It's about two percentage points lower. We're going to have to see how that progresses throughout the season. I wouldn't get too worried about it, but it's something to watch as the season progresses to see if the Orioles are constantly hitting those line drives. If they are, that's a good sign moving forward because line drives generally equate to hits, not so much with ground balls or fly balls. All right, fair enough. Uh, moving on, let's talk about the bullpen. I think the bullpen, as you mentioned, we had Simpson, we had Meek, we had some, you know, Brad Brock was not as effective as he has been uh, more recently. That has turned itself into a li- from liability into a strength. The bullpen can be depended upon right now, and it all starts at the back, which is Zach Britton has been absolutely money as a closer. Absolutely. He's embraced that role. And we've covered this in previous podcast about his ground ball to fly ball ratio. He's been absolutely amazing in just going into there and just not letting that inning bother him. Yeah, he's had two blown saves, but the situation is those are not saves that you're just like, oh, those were terrible blown saves. They were, you know, it happens, saves almost. Um, 
other individuals too that I think we need to cover that is really not getting a lot of credit in Major League Baseball is Darren O'Day. Darren O'Day might be one of the best relievers right now in, in Major League Baseball. The ability for Darren O'Day to set up Zach Britton in the ninth inning is absolutely critical. You take a two-run lead into the eighth inning and then give the two-run lead to Britton, that's a lot better than giving up a run in the eighth inning and then saying, okay, closer, you got to keep it you know, tight because we only have one run now because O'Day, was, O'Day blew, it, blew it in the eighth inning. Yeah, and the other thing is that he's not a trick pony anymore. You know, Darren O'Day is not a mystery anymore. He's been with the Orioles for a couple of seasons now. He's been pitching in high-level situations. Other teams should have a book on him at this point. The fact that he's still continually uh, effective, I I think, means that he's making those reverse adjustments and continues to be a weapon uh, for the bullpen. Talking about about weapons in the bullpen, uh, we have to talk about Tommy Hunter because it's something that you and I discussed when he lost his, his job as the closer in the fact that if this team was going to be good, they would need an effective Tommy Hunter in the back because he can be good, and we are starting to see the good Tommy Hunter again, are we not? Yeah, Tommy Hunter starting to get filthy again. Um, it was a situation of maybe the closer role wasn't quite right for him. Yeah, he's a hard-throwing uh, pitcher, but again, he seems to have thrived in previous seasons on coming into the games and shutting it down. Uh, you know, that might not be the perfect person for the ninth inning, but that's a great person to have in your bullpen in order to keep men on base. So Tommy Hunter needs to keep doing what he's doing and uh, keep keeping seductive. Absolutely. And again, you know, he used to be a starter. He does have that arsenal. He does have the off-speed pitches. In the shorter sense, he can go to the heat and just keep bringing it. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's been fantastic, I think, since he's come back from the, from the DL. And lastly, we, we talked about this in the, our last episode, so I won't beat a dead horse, but even a guy like T.J. McFarlane has found a role in his bullpen, and when you have you know six other strong guys, you can have a, a weak link that won't break you uh, when you're a good team. So, you know, again, the, the bullpen is strong. The, the offense is holding things together, even when things look hairy for some of our big guys. And the starting rotation, though it's not pretty, has been effective. I think that things can only get better for the Baltimore Orioles in the second half. And the initial returns from that West Coast trip might be difficult to watch. But, Scott, I, I think that we should expect good things uh, in the second half. I definitely think we should expect good things. Um, you know um, what else we should expect? No. We should expect me uh, constantly winning. Oh, Lord. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby. You should do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, daddy. Hey, you are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night when the moon is shining bright, I you're the boss. Yes, Jake, I am the boss once again this week. Jake, we went with on-base percentage. I picked Steve Pierce, and you picked uh, Adam Jones. Steve Pierce, 400 on-base percentage. Adam Jones, a measly 167. Adam Jones had an absolutely horrible week uh, in the lineup. So Scott wins again. He goes up nine to four to two. Um, Jake, we can cover this more, but again, it comes back to Steve Pierce has really just been great so far lately. Um, you know, we could pick stats, but again, there's only three games this week. So Jake, I'm pushing Fantasy Boss off for another week. 
We can talk about it next week, and we can pick some stats over a prolonged period of time. What say That's you? That's fine. I'm, I'm going to need the time to lick my wound and to try to get over uh, you know, this crushing loss. I really thought I had something going with Adam Jones, and he let me down. I'm just going to... I'm just going to take a week and I'm going to try to get myself together and rally uh, much like you did last season and come back and try to make this uh, fantasy boss thing interesting. That's fine, but I still lost last season, so we'll go from there. So, Jake, you picked Adam Jones. I picked Steve Pierce previous week. Um, Let's just say that one of them may be in the next segment. This time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I'm actually going to go first this week. I am, For my good, I'm going to go with Miguel Gonzalez. Eight innings pitched, five strikeouts, only two solo home runs, which is only two earned runs, but again, zero walks. He gets my Josh Stinson good for the week, giving up the home run, but not giving up too many home runs to lose the ball game. All right. I was with you until you got to Josh Stinson. I think Miguelito has really made a statement since his job, frankly, has been in jeopardy, and he has come back strong. So, yeah, forget that home run nonsense. Absolutely, I'm with you. Uh, Miguel Gonzalez was good this week. My good, we've talked about it, Manny Machado. He's been on point. You know, he went five uh, for six in a game. He, he's been driving in runs. He's been hitting home runs. And this week alone, his Wobo was uh, .655, and he had a 330 uh, what is this? Win created... Weighted runs plus? created plus. This is why I don't like your notes. Nobody can read that stuff. He was really good this week. Yeah, that means that he was three times as good as the league average in terms of creating runs. He was really good. Move on. Okay. My bad for the week has to be your fantasy ball selection, Adam Jones. A 165 Woba and a negative seven weighted runs created plus. Uh, Adam, 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 please go swing whatever you've got in your system out during the Haran Derby. It can't be any worse than you were this week. You, sir, were very close to being ugly, but you're an all star candidate, or you're actually an all star starter, so you get a bad for the week. All right, my bad for this week is Bud Norris. And look, you know, everybody's entitled to a bad start, and he had his. Bud Norris came back off of the disabled list, and he got knocked around and had an early exit. And, uh, hey, look, it just wasn't a good look. I'm not beating him up about it, but we talked about it. Starting rotation has managed to get itself together for a while there with looked like musical chairs, and it was going to be, you know, who's the odd man out. Bud Norris, for one week, you were bad. Yeah, and again, it was a game that he was also coming off the disabled list for as well. So it's kind of was a situation, too, of, oh, maybe they should have kept him down longer. Maybe we shouldn't have pushed him so quickly back so quickly. I think it's just a bad game. I say you move on. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not hating on him. I mean, he's been, our, frankly, our most dependable starter this season. But, you know, let's, let's call it spade a spade. It wasn't a good start. It was the worst start that, uh, that anybody had this week. You know, in one game, he gave up... Uh, five earned runs over four innings. Just wasn't a good look for him. Right, just a bad game. Um, my ugly for the week is going to go back to something I've been harping on throughout this whole season, and that's second baseman. 
Our second baseman combined for a 150 average, a 135 Woba, and a negative 28 weighted runs created plus. I'm not going to go through this whole argument and soapbox thing again, but Baltimore Orioles, if you want to be able to compete in the second half, and if you want to get into the playoffs and be successful, you need to look be start looking for someone to play second base for you. It cannot be Jonathan Scope, and it cannot be Ryan Flaherty. All right, my ugly for this week is going to go out to Oriole Park at Camden Yards being flooded with Yankee fans again. Look, I thought we were done with this. And it was cute during the 14 years of horrible Orioles teams, but that is no longer the case. And we have had several, several Yankees games where they have been in the vast minority. There is no reason that Baltimore fans should look at a Yankees game on the schedule and say, oh, I don't want to go because I don't want to deal with Yankees fans. They should be a non-issue. The fact that Jeter's last season is this year and Yankees fans are flocking to buy tickets is a failure of the Orioles fan base. It should not be able to happen because we should look at those games and we should say, that's a W. This is a bad Yankees team. We can go beat up on a team that has embarrassed us for more than a decade. Let's paint the park orange and keep these jerks out of our stadium. The Orioles fans are not doing a good enough job at it. And, you know, frankly, I didn't have to go on Sunday because I was able to sit back and enjoy from a bar at the beach. But I'm sure that Scotty was not comfortable in that stadium with just too many vermin. So my ugly this week, Baltimore Orioles fans allowing the Yankees fans into the stadium. Ugly. All right, um... So that was our good, bad, and the ugly. And, Jake, I think it's time we go ahead and blow the save. Jake, I'm going to blow the save this week. Um, the one thing I did notice on Sunday night was that um, I really didn't come across too many individuals from New York. Shocking, I know. The one group that I did see a lot of um, in terms of license plates and going through the stadium was there were a lot of individuals from the Virginia and Washington, D.C. area. So this comes back to the discussion that we had last week. Should we really be mad with the people up in New York? Eh, maybe not. That is their home team. They can root for their home team. Who we should be mad with is the individuals down in Virginia, North Carolina, and D.C. who are you know rooting for the Yankees. So in, in regards to all this, there's only one one thing to blame, and that is uh, the Washington Nationals. So Josh Finver, um, you're on notice because you need to get up and rally the people around you in Northern Virginia to actually support that horrible, horrible team in Washington, D.C. Can I also just express my complete hatred for the internet availability here at the beach? Uh, it's been a real struggle for us on this podcast. And so uh, sound quality from my voice is, is worse than usual, which I did not think was possible. Yeah, it was pretty bad. We apologize to everybody, but I promise you our vocal cords will be warmed up and we will have great recording for the bevies. So turn in later this week for the bevies. It will be masterful. Jake, final words. I, I think masterful was as, uh, uh, as much as I could venture there. So just say a do a do. I'm just, I'm just going to say to Baltimore Beyond, adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. We'll see you on Thursday.